We've been talking about grace, which is no surprise to many of you. And in specific right now, the spiritual disciplines, and we're going to finish the last one of the disciplines of abstinence this morning. Um, and then we'll pick up with the rest of the spiritual disciplines, but they're still all about grace. Uh, it's the grace of God that causes anything good to happen in our lives. It is the grace of God that gives us the energy to do anything good. And the spiritual disciplines or those disciplines or things that God has gifted us, given us to bring us before his presence so his grace can have its way, so his grace can change us and move into us. Um, looking at the disciplines, we have a list that we've looked at and we've gone through all of these and it's refraining voluntarily and temporarily from normal human needs so as to disentangle ourselves from their claim on us. And you see the list and you have them in your notes of ones that, that we have covered. And this is by no means exclusive of all of them. There are other disciplines or things that work for people to bring them to a place of quietness before God where God speaks to them and his voice is heard above all others, where his heart is felt in a way that isn't felt in any other place. And different ones of us could probably say, you know, I, I do this in my life, and this helps me focus on God. These just happen to be some of the time-tested ones that the church and the scriptures talk about that the church has used throughout history to bring, our, bring us into a place where God can grow us. It's not trying to live for God. It's being trained by his grace to have a life that, that he lives. We looked at a couple weeks ago, the one of sacrifice, and I just want to review that one quickly. And sacrifice was the giving of which I would normally use for my own needs in order to demonstrate my love for the recipient, my freedom from the need to bless myself, and to declare my trust in God to provide. And we looked at different kinds of sacrifice, if you can remember those. They're all listed there. It was foundational, generous, uncomfortable, and sometimes even painful kinds of sacrifice. But in all of those, it brings us to a place before the Lord where we depend on him, we acknowledge he is the giver of things. And the more we enter into sacrifice, the more we depend on him, the more we need him to even to the place if we sacrifice beyond what we can see as providing for our needs, God needs to show up. He needs to be there in order for things to work out. And, and the sacrifices that we're talking about had a couple key elements in them. And it's our heart. That's where it starts. You can't just sacrifice from the flesh or from your own willpower and expect to see the grace of God. It starts in the heart. It has a cost, and it's an act of faith. And the perfect picture that we had of a sacrifice was Abraham and Isaac in type, but of Jesus Christ, who forsook the glories of heaven, all that he had, and at Christmas came to earth, gave it all up, sacrificed ultimately his own life for us. Now today, we're going to look at the last one, and it's the discipline of secrecy, the the audience of one. And this isn't like the best word that we could pick to describe it. So hopefully by the time we're done today, you'll have an idea of what we're trying to get at by this. Because secrecy sometimes carries with it the idea uh, of something you don't want anyone to know because it's a deep, dark secret. 
And we're not talking about secrets in that sense at all. You see, secrets uh, are kept or things are done in secret for many different reasons. Some things are kept secret because shame is attached to them. And if they were to be made known, the person would be destroyed or in shame. So I don't, I don't want to tell anybody about this. This isn't the kind of secret we're talking about. Some things are kept secret because they're a surprise. They, they don't want someone to know about them until a certain point. Some things are kept secret because there's an unfolding plan. And at the right time, this is going to be made known so that the plan can keep rolling out. But if you let the cat out of the bag too early, the plan isn't going to work the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes secrets are kept for that. Sometimes there's the secret of protection. If you remember back during war times, the little poster that said, loose lips sink ships. you got to keep some things quiet to protect something. And that's more in the vein of what we're talking about. A kind of secrecy or living in a secret type way that protects our hearts from things that could grab it, entangle it, or kind of ruin it. So in this discipline, we're talking specifically about to abstain from making our good deeds or practices known so as to please only our Father in heaven, living for an audience of one, that God's opinion of me, his acceptance of me, is so high and so far above all other opinions that I live as if he and I were the only ones that mattered. Not that others don't, but there's an intimacy involved in living in this, this type of discipline where I live before God in such a way that what he thinks of me matters. What others think of me doesn't matter. What God knows and what God does and lavishes in my life, what he promises to give is far superior than what any other promises may be given to me. It's intentionally hiding our prayers or good deeds to please only our Father in heaven who is in secret. It's the practice of denying ourselves the attention or admiration from others that we like so much. Instead, keeping our righteousness quiet. Humans love recognition. Have you ever caught yourself at some point when something really worked out and they, you know, that, that was my idea. <laughs> I thought of that first. I said that first. Well, why do we do that? We like approval. We like recognition. It's kind of like what happens with the little children when they do something. They'll get up in front of you and they'll spin in a circle. Okay? Watch me. Watch me, Mommy. Watch me, Daddy. And they'll just do things to be approved to gain recognition because that is what often validates the human heart. Why am I important? Why do I have worth? Why am I anything special? And in our world, those are answered because of what we can do, how we look, how we think, and all of these other things for approval. In the discipline of secrecy, I start to train my heart to live for God's approval alone. 
so that the things that could lead me astray or in a wrong direction, they, they don't have a hold on me anymore because I've learned to live for God and God alone. Have you ever felt unappreciated or you didn't receive the thanks that you thought you should have received or perhaps not in the way or the degree that you expected? And all of a sudden, we're let down inside, and it's like, oh, they weren't very thankful. I didn't get my approval. My, my mind goes back to a story, and I've told this here before, but if you're close to 60 like I am, you probably have forgotten that I've told it. And, and you know, others of you may have never heard it. But I'll never forget the time in high school. Um, our school used to go to a camp, and, and a not a big school, small Christian school. We'd go to this camp, and we would take a bus, and they'd rent this big over-the-road bus. And I remember seeing the bus driver get in, and I'm sitting right behind the bus driver. So the bus driver's right in front of me, big over-the-road bus with reclining seats, and it was an older bus driver. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a very big bus for someone quite as aged as this person appears to be. So they got in, and we're going in, I forget, somewhere in Pennsylvania, going down these big back roads. And it was kind of like a big crown on the road, just one lane in each direction. And off to the side of the road, there's a big gully where the water runs down. And I remember watching and being a little petrified because the bus driver kept driving far to the right to stay away from that other lane. And I'm thinking, you know, some of the time our wheels really aren't on the road anymore. And I was getting nervous, and everybody else is laughing, having a good time, because they're not seeing what I'm seeing. And at one point, both of the side tires of the wheels went down into the ditch. The whole bus went over sideways, didn't completely tip over, but the bus driver fell out of the seat and was on the ground laying there. And... and the bus is going 55, 60 miles an hour down this old country road, no bus driver, and Dan Grimes is sitting right behind the seat there. So I remember, not because I'm a hero, it's just because I'm a chicken and didn't want to die, getting up and leaning over the railing and starting to drive the bus and pulling it back up onto the road, and then I didn't know how to drive and start heading off into the other side of the road. Well, there was another guy who was kind of on the other side, saw what was going on, and kind of stood up, but just was kind of watching, because I already had the wheel, and I wasn't going to share it. And, and I remember the, the bus driver, this is like I've fallen and I can't get up. The bus driver slowly starts getting back up into the chair and gets some little help, and I'm still just driving the bus down the road. And I will tell you, I've never seen teenagers more quiet on a bus ride for the rest of the trip till we got to the place. And we lived. Now, the story doesn't end there. I mean, I was panicked and I'm sitting down and it really hit me later, you know, a few minutes later what really happened. And then I got afraid. But that evening we had our assembly of the whole school. And they're there and the principal gets up and says, you know, there's some really big thanks that needs to be given out today to somebody who acted heroically and did something wonderful. Bob, could you stand up? Now, Bob was the guy who stood up and watched. Dan was the guy who was driving, okay? Now, this 40 years ago, I've completely forgotten that I didn't get the credit. 
it's no big deal. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you think I was like, oh, thank Bob. I'm glad you got the credit for that, dude. You did a great job. No, inside, I'm like, what? That was me. And I, you know, I was cool about it, though. I just went up to afterwards to Bob, and I said, good job, Bob. And he's like, oh, you really know what happened, don't you? Yeah? You want to say anything? <laughs> well, it's too late now. Yeah, so I learned a lesson, maybe, maybe not. We want credit. We want recognition. We crave approval. The discipline of secrecy is something that we enter into, and we keep quiet about the good things we've done. We keep quiet about sacrifices that we make. We keep quiet about things that are spiritual life that might make others think we're something special. We do it because we love the Lord. We do it because his approval is everything. The approval of others is secondary. Many of us will enjoy healthy praise, but too often the praise of man became, becomes the things that justifies us, that gives us our identity rather than God Almighty. You see, all of us, to some degree, suffer from the fear of man. And that doesn't mean the fear of man in the sense that we're afraid of people. The fear of man means I put the esteem of others at the top of the list when it comes to my self-worth, to the opinion of myself, to the value that I feel. And some of us get so addicted to the approval of other people that when we don't have it, or when a relationship isn't right, we think we're horrible, we're no good, we have no value, because the esteem of some individual was put up so high, it replaced the esteem that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to explain a little bit what I mean about that. But there's different um, things that can show up in our life that, that show us that we might perhaps have an unhealthy uh, addiction or put uh, in an unhealthy way the approval of others. And a couple of those would be we habitually compare ourselves with others. We want approval, so I'm comparing myself to this person and that person because I somehow got to be better. I, I want what they have. So we, we find ourselves you know, habitually comparing ourselves. We get overly competitive in situations that are just kind of normal because when I'm right... Or when I win, I'm better. And when I'm better, I'm more approved. And it's the idea that, you know, winning is everything. And when I'm a winner, I have value. When I come in second, I'm just the first loser. I don't have as much value. So we become competitive. Or we have a nagging sense in our hearts that we're not important. We might do something, and even after we've done it, and maybe been somewhat successful, we still have that nagging feeling that, that I'm not important. I don't have value. I don't measure up because we're not seeing the acceptance that comes through Jesus Christ. We're looking to other people for it. Or perhaps we get envious. We get envious of the praise or success of other people. 
because praise and success brings approval, and I'm envious of them because I, I wanted some of that approval. I wanted some of that directed towards me because that validates my humanity. That gives me purpose. That lets me know who I am. You see, this is such a hard, hard thing because especially for young people, but it really doesn't change much as we get older. We look to those around us, those peers for approval and often wind up going the wrong direction because their approval means I got to do some things I shouldn't be doing. I know when I used to do jail Bible studies and I would talk to some of these guys, how did you wind up here? What went on in your life? And you know, I could have almost pushed a tape recorder and hit play for what each one would say. And it would be something like this. Well, I was at a party. My friend said this. My friends want me to do this. And it started the ball rolling. Or I was at someone's house with some friends. And they were doing this. Why did you do it? Approval. To be part of it. To gain value. Look like the end result of what was being promised was going to deliver, and I would be happy, and it would be good, and without, almost without exception, it was the approval of others that drew them down a path of destruction, promising great things, but not delivering it at all. Perhaps we find ourselves constantly trying to impress others. You may have seen the person in a conversation, no matter what the story, they got a bigger story. They can one-up it. Because they want to impress. And that might be an easy example to see. But there's a part of us that want to impress people. And, and if they come over and things maybe aren't quite right at our house, we're all apologetic because they don't want us to think badly. And we want them to have this impression of us. And we, we apologize often for things because the opinion of others matters so much. And finally, we're worried others will think ill of us if they find out we're an approval addict. What will others think? We're caught up in that. Now, there's a place where we do want to make people happy. But when it becomes the thing that justifies us, gives us worth, gives us joy, gives us peace, we've got a problem. The discipline of secrecy is here to help train us so that we live for God alone because the things that I'm doing, he's the only one that knows about that. So when I offer or help somebody, I don't have to go around and tell the rest of the town what I just did. Or if I spent the night in prayer, I don't come to church and say, I'm really tired today. Oh, why? I was praying all night, making sure everyone heard. It's a secrecy where the good things that I do, I don't have to trumpet them. I don't have to let them be known because God knows, and his knowledge is enough. The discipline of secrecy leads to freedom and peace of mind, which stabilizes our heart, which gives us a peace. We can live in the presence of critics, and they have no hold on us. 1 Corinthians 4.3 says, But with me, Paul speaking, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. As he got to a place in his life where, where the judgments and the criticisms of others 
very small thing. It's no really big deal that you think this about me. Why? Because my father knows better. I have an acceptance that comes from him, and we're going to talk about that acceptance. That, that's so far above what your little paltry opinion is. It's a small thing what you think about me. Can you say that in your life and heart? That if people that are your critics, it's a very small thing that they feel that way about you. Most of us can't. Most of us crumble when the opinions of others do not go our way. Imagine being liberated from the need to impress anyone or the need to be heard. Imagine our self-esteem no longer resting on being noticed, our looks, our abilities, our intelligence, our achievements. Imagine actually being able to feel love towards someone who is intensely critical of you or hates you. God can do that. God can reign in our hearts in such a way that his opinion of us carries the day. A couple scriptures that kind of lead us to where we need to go to be able to see this. The first is in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells, that's kind of a choice. Usually you choose where you're going to live. So we begin this journey of security in Christ with a choice. To dwell in the secret place of the Most High. In other words, I make a choice to live before him preeminently above all other things. I choose to be, you could say, before his throne, before his grace, and live by his opinion, by his ideals, more than anyone else's anywhere. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You see, when I'm in a shadow, I'm not shining on my own anymore. He's shining. I'm in the shadow. And this idea of the shadow is one that gives protection, gives security. That when I live before God alone, he lavishes a security and protection over my heart that gives me everything I crave. All that, that wanting to be accepted by others, all of that significance that I may be drawing from other people. God says, when you dwell in my shadow, I will dole it out to you. I will give you what you need beyond measure. All those things that you might sell your soul for, for acceptance here on earth, those things are cheap substitutes. God says, when you dwell in my presence before me, my shadow will give you and provide for you the things that you need. Psalm 31 says, you hide them in the secret place of your presence, from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter or pavilion, it says, from the strife of tongues. In other words, when I'm living before the Lord and have esteemed his opinion higher than anyone else's, there's a certain peace that protects me from the damaging critic or the person who doesn't like me, or the insults that rage against me, that I'm no longer hostage 
to those things. There's a freedom that comes where God says, my presence protects you from those wrong thoughts that captivate and have your mind. The secret place of God Almighty. You see, all of us live before an audience. There's somebody today giving you your worth, significance, dignity. You're getting it from somewhere. You've either chosen a person, a relationship. Can you remember the high school days, like people that would be walking, you know, the little drama now and then, and then like somebody would just break up, and you'd hear them say, oh, I got to get a new boyfriend. I got to get a new girlfriend. I, I don't have one. Well, what's the panic? I shouldn't have them in high school anyway. Sorry, opinion. Uh, you know, why? Because the relationship gives me significance. It gives me value. It gives me worth. Oh, no, it doesn't. Those things come from God. They cannot come from a person. And the more I think there's a place to get them from that's not God, the worse I will feel inside the more insignificant I will feel inside because I'm trying to milk something that doesn't give milk. What doesn't give milk? I'm trying to milk an elephant. You just can't get it from other sources. Significance comes from God and God alone. So the first thing you have to ask yourself, what's your audience? Who is it that you pass or fail in front of? Who is it? If it's people, it will be difficult because you will fail, they will forsake, they will be fickle, you will be fickle. It will never work out. Who is it you seek to validate your identity, your worth, your personhood? We wake up every morning hungry to be validated. We want to know we are loved, accepted, worthwhile. We will look to an audience. We will look to somewhere for that. And there's really only two choices. It's people. That is bondage. They will pull my strings. They are the ones that I will dance for. And I will do anything to get that from them. Because my soul craves it. And that craving is not evil. It is what God has put in us. It's a craving to worship him. But when the creature usurps the creator, our hearts die. And we are just on a treadmill, trying and trying and trying because we're being pulled and pulled. But there is another place to find all of that. Jesus, the lover of your soul, the one who wired you, the one who made you. And he said, I love you with an everlasting love. I know how to fill your heart. I know how to give you what you need. You can't go to other sources, but our flesh does it all the time. Let me give you worth. Let me give you identity. Let me give you significance. And when God gives those things, that's called peace of mind. That's called being at peace with yourself, comfortable in your own skin. That's the kind of person who can have people betray and forsake them and not crash and burn. 
because they realize the ultimate, the ultimate person in the universe, the God creator, has accepted them and has said, you are my beloved. I have died for you. I've brought you to myself. I've given you my righteousness. There's no more I can do for you. I've given it all. But we believe lies and we look other places. I believe the greatest word in all of the Bible is that Greek word right there, tetelestai. It's the word that Jesus uttered when he died on the cross. When he said, it is finished. It was one word. This word means everything to a heart. This word means God has done it all for us. You see, there'd be a list of crimes that a criminal would have back in the Roman days. And it would be all the things listed why he was disapproved, why he was no good, why he was in jail, why he was worthless. And they'd put that up above the jail cell. And that would be the list, Colossians calls it the handwriting of ordinances or the bill of debt or the bond that was against us. And that is the thing that hangs over every one of us that declares us unworthy. That is why we feel useless. That is why we feel like we're not accepted because we're not. We have this list hanging over us that needs to be to, to be eradicated. It needs to be taken out of the way if I could ever really feel acceptance, worth, and peace. When Jesus died on the cross, he uttered these words, it is finished, paid in full. And what they would do to that person in jail is they would take that list of, of, of things against them, those unacceptable things, and they would stamp that word on it. And that would be their freedom. That would be their ability to live as forgiven. That those things that declared them unworthy are taken out of the way. That is the cross of Christ. Jesus has said, in my cross, you have been paid for in full. You have been satisfied. What you owe, what you lack, what you don't have comes through the cross Paid in full, it's stamped. It's like the parking ticket that gets validated. You are accepted. You belong to me. That's the ground of Christian identity. When I live there, the fear of man starts to crumble. The attitudes and things that people think of me kind of crumble away as unimportant. They become very small things. When people are big and God is small, our hearts hurt. But when God becomes all that he is, and he really becomes that to my heart of hearts, people become small. The opinions of others matter so very little. There's no more striving. Jesus said there's no more that can be done for your heart. It's been paid in full. It's been satisfied. I give you my righteousness, when I rest in that, I am secure. I am safe. I could have no greater worth than the king of the universe giving his life for me. I could have no greater value. I could have no greater acceptance. The blood of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, 
is the ground of the heart at peace. When I don't live there before his presence, I miss out on all of that. To live for God and God alone. We live in a constant battle for validation. What is it that makes me important today when I wake up? What gives me value? What gives me significance? I will either look to people or I will look to the cross. When I live at the cross in God's presence, he heals my heart from the fear of man and from the bondage that comes from needing the approval of people to like myself. God loves me. That makes all the difference in the world. Dallas Willard said these words in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. In the discipline of secrecy, we abstain from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. We may even take steps to prevent, prevent them from being known. We learn to love to be unknown and even to accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. There's several verses that you can look at on your own, but Jesus often chose secrecy or privacy about things of himself. He withdrew to private places to pray, in secret kind of places. At one point, he says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet it couldn't be hidden. You see, this is letting God choose when to make our good deeds known. He is the one that does the shining. It's not like we just keep everything, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to tell anybody about God. I'm not going to keep it all to myself. It's all going to be secret. No, when you're living a life of Christ and God is living through you, even the things you do anonymously are testimonies. Even that gift that you give and don't tell anybody you were the giver of it, God says that, that'll shine. But it's God shining, not us. A couple of thoughts, a couple of passages of scripture that I want to read to you. Secrecy protects from self-righteousness and fosters sincerity. And I want to read a couple different verses here. But in giving and praying and fasting, we read these words in Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and in the streets, that they may be praised of others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you when it comes to praying. And when you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Sincerity. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
pray like this. And then he goes into what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and tells them. And then after that is done, the secrecy in their fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I find it interesting in this whole passage. You don't really hear what the reward is. It's easy to think, oh, man, I'm going to get some money. If I do things in secret, God's going to fill my bank account. I don't think so. I think that's one of the lowest level kind of rewards that God could give. I think what's happening here, and if I were to venture a guess to what kind of reward, the people that were practicing their righteousness before others, their reward was the praise of man, the, the, the uh, fulfillment that comes that all, through people, through their good opinions. I think what God is saying here, the reward I'm going to give you, my applause. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you a sense of worth that comes from me beyond all others. I think what God is saying is here, when you just live secretly with me, and, and we got this thing together, and, and that you're living solely for me and not for the praise of others, I will heap upon you a reward that, that can only be eternal, that can only be understood by it coming from God. In other words, I'm going to fill your soul. I'm going to give you a peace and, and a contentment in who you are because who you are is who he is. And that changes everything. There's a couple fruits that I just want to mention that come from this, this discipline of secrecy and living before God alone. Because denying ourselves attention and praise is a powerful practice for soul transformation. Firstly, it's humility. If I help somebody and I get the praise for it, because I help them, and I want them to know I help them. If I do it quietly, unknown, it's God. It's obviously that God is meeting the need and a person didn't cloud the picture at all. There's humility, there's freedom. There is such a freedom from getting my identity through Jesus Christ and not from people. It's like a chains that just come off, a burden that just gets lifted, is that I'm not on the performance treadmill anymore. I'm on the cross with Christ, and that changes everything. There's also an intimacy, partners in the secret yoke. We talked about the yoke before, the yoke of grace. You notice when there's a surprise party going on, and the person who is in the room that doesn't know about it is in the room with a couple people who do, those that do know about the party just kind of look at each other. They know something. They got this thing going on, and they realize this other person's clueless. And there's a certain intimacy between the people who are sharing that secret. Like, ha-ha, we got one on them. We know it. And it brings those in the secret closer together. That's the way it is in life. When we are living in tandem with God and God alone, and he and I are the ones working on the gift or the surprise for somebody else. It pulls us closer together 
because he's the one that I'm getting the approval from. He's the one that's giving me satisfaction and worth. And, and we know it. And we're together in the same yoke. And finally, it exalts Jesus Christ. The passage of scripture that we read in 2 Corinthians this morning talks about the, the treasure that we have been given in Christ is in an earthen vessel. I'll just call it a paper cup. He, he gives us his treasure in these paper cups of ours. But you know what humanity wants to do? Wants to make the paper cup the treasure. I want to be the one that gets the praise and the glory. When we do things anonymously for God and God alone, we make sure this paper cup stays a paper cup. We make sure the treasure stays the treasure. And that I don't rob any glory that is his. I do this for him, not for myself. Many years ago, Elizabeth Elliot wrote in one of her books um, a little parable, an African parable. It's not in the scripture, but it's very true, and it drives home the point that I'm trying to make here this morning. Jesus was walking one day with his disciples and asked each one to pick up a stone and to carry it for him. They all picked up a stone, Peter, rather a small stone, and slipped it in his pocket. John, a bigger one. Jesus led them to the top of a mountain, and he commanded that the stones be made bread. Jesus led them to the top, and that's where he did that. He said the disciples, by this time, were very hungry. And since Jesus had declared that the stones should be made into bread, he had given them permission to eat the bread from the stone that they had gathered. Of course, Peter didn't have very much. John shared with him some of the bread that was made from the large stone that he had carried. On another occasion, the same Jesus took the same disciples for a walk and again asked them to pick up a stone and carry it for him. This time, you can imagine that Peter picked up the biggest stone that he could find. But Jesus did not take them this time to the top of the mountain. He took them to the river. As he stood on the bank, looking with questions in their minds, uh, Jesus said, throw the stones into the river, which they did at once in obedience to, command, in his, to his command. Then they looked at him, expectantly waiting for the miracle to happen. But it didn't happen this time. Nothing happened. They waited. They watched. Nothing happened. Jesus, with great compassion, looked on the disciples with whom he loved and said, For whom did you carry the stone? That's the discipline of secrecy. To do all that I do for God and God alone. Quietly, without recognition, without praise, without expecting thanks. It does come to give the glory to God and God alone. The question for each of us as we live our Christian life, whose stone, who are we carrying the stone for? Is it for God or is it for somehow secretly getting the blessings ourselves? May God help us to live for him and him alone, not for the praise of man. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that even in our often, often failing. Lord, that we come back to the cross, we come back to grace, 
we come back to a place where you have loved us with an everlasting love. Help us to realize that we can never become more accepted by you, more loved by you, more valuable to you than we already are. Lord, help us empty us of the fear of man, the desire for the praise of people. May we find our worth in you. In Jesus' name, amen.